0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the George Wu Show. Today we have Matt back from vacation. <laughs> How's that How's that going?
1: It was good, man. I enjoyed the beach. Good to be back.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I'm here with us. Lots of new things. You know, first thing first, uh, before we get to the large item, let's just want to talk about Matt about some recent developments in, in Web3 and Bitcoin. Tell us some of the interesting news that you're seeing lately.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we recently had a pretty funny thing. You guys might know the skull of Satoshi. So basically what happened was this exec at Ripple decided to put $5 million towards a marketing campaign basically like kind of smear Bitcoin or convince Bitcoiners to change the code. Uh, (laughs) We're going to change Bitcoin from proof of work, which would be, you know, say mining with hardware to proof of stake, which is Ethereum, right? So that was the whole thing. So he commissioned this artist to build this like this really cool stall and to show it having radioactive power coming out the back. And the Bitcoiners were like... Wow, well, that looks pretty cool, actually. <laughs> they're getting <laughs> tattoos of it. They're, uh, they're 3D printing it. So we got that happening. I, honestly, I don't know why you didn't put the $5 million towards hiring a developer to change the code, but you know, whatever floats your boat. We've got that happening. We've got Balaji with a million-dollar bet. And then we've got what's going on with the banks. It seems like there's a concerted effort to kind of shut down the on-and-off ramps. We've got Silvergate gone, Signature. We've got SVBs gone, so you know what are the on ramps and off ramps for for Bitcoin these days. So mm-hmm. lots happening.
0: Yeah, I, I did want to talk about. It. I think there's like a growing concern, I guess, amid the crypto community, the Web3 community, that the Biden administration or this administration in general is trying to quote unquote shut down crypto. So there's some rumors that the conditions of closing down Signature Bank has something to do with crypto clients. Uh, Matt, do you know anything about
1: it? Well, there was a strange clause. And so when they shut down Signature, it's kind of done over the weekend. And one of the conditions for the folks who took over Signature was that they had to drop all of their crypto clients, which seemed like a very strange clause to include. And so... Before it was a conspiracy theory that there was, oh, you know, Binance administration's going after crypto. But it, it really does seem to be a concerted effort. And, and maybe that's a response to what happened with FTX. You had Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, who was, you know, in bed with SPF. And then they were almost ready to have FTX US as a fully regulated entity. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the whole thing crashes and he has to change course and be like, we're anti-crypto. And so... It seems pretty clear to me that they're trying to cut off the on and off ramps. But this creates a really weird situation because now the on and off ramps that are left, you have less liquidity kind of all over the board. And so the potential for a price rise of crypto and, and particularly Bitcoin in the next little while is more likely because you've, you have cut off all the access points to get out of the thing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know it it may be, maybe it's a conspiracy theory, but there seems to be concerted efforts by several folks to shut this stuff down. I don't know.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts, George? I mean, I've been hearing a couple weeks ago or even like one or two months ago, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal that basically says that the SEC and the banking regulators are pressuring regional and large banks to drop crypto clients. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you're not breaking any laws, they're not breaking any laws, mm-hmm. but we hear that the winds are changing. And then we're just letting giving you a heads up to drop those clients. So I think a lot of like large banks started dropping crypto clients. I mm-hmm. uh, don't know. you know anyone in that space who got my guy
1: infected? I don't know what any uh, in particular. Well, in general, like there was a lot of crypto companies that got affected by just what happened with the various banks. Like obviously Coinbase got affected quite a bit with Signature and SVB. And I believe for Kraken as well that their on-and-off ramps are currently closed and not working. I know Swan Bitcoin had issues because of their on and off ramp. And so there's been multiple like Bitcoin companies that have been and crypto companies that have been affected by this. So I think one of the big questions here is what game are they trying to play? Because, you know, they've determined that Bitcoin is a legal asset and that it is a commodity. And so since when is there a concerted effort to shut down on and off ranks for commodities. This doesn't really isn't really occurring for gold, but it's occurring for Bitcoin. And so that just seems very strange to me. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, what, what's your take about you know this including like the banking reactions to it?
1: Yeah,
2: I think overall like the bigger like picture for this is if the government kinda lets like you know like crypto kinda go, they lose so much control when it comes to everything. And like you know, like cash is king for almost anything and everything. I think if you saw like every other crypto, I think besides Bitcoin, even Ethereum has like now been deemed a security by like ESC and stuff like that, which is just yeah, like, Yeah, it just happened to yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> insane. <laughs> so like, because like all of them become securities, though Bitcoin obviously, Bitcoin doesn't have the like properties to be a security, so they can't make it a security. So what ends up happening is these governments then don't get control because like, like money is supposed to be like, a, you know, like a completely centralized like, kind of thing. Now Bitcoin, like you know, where you have it completely decentralized, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, what, like the whole Bellagio, and we kind of get back to that too. Like when that ends up happening is if you have a hyperinflation thing, there's something besides gold that like now investors can kind of like run towards like a safe haven to keep all of their stuff, right? Like another mm-hmm. form of asset. And like the power of Bitcoin or like a, if another like decentralized, like, you know, like in crypto would just be the fact that you can kind of like leave the country itself like there's
1: almost no thing to keep you within a single like, geographic location yeah. either yeah well it gives you the opportunity to exit the system exactly. now to be fair i don't think that bitcoin is ready to onboard yeah. 300 million americans tomorrow mm-hmm. right That's that's insanity and the other thing too is if the system does fail and things go south suddenly all the on and off ramps are going to be gone and you're not going to be able. So the fact that Balaji is making this type of bet, and it's interesting too because a lot a lot of people are calling Balaji out for this bet and saying,
0: Oh, you're... Yeah, and 1st like, explain to our listeners what are the bet specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great point. So the Balaji bet essentially, there was, a, what, was it an anonymous person on Twitter. Yeah,
2: essentially, yeah, somebody just kind of like uh, tweeted Balaji saying that, Oh, like Bitcoin is not going to do good.
1: Like I'll bet you a million dollars, like it's not going to thing didn't he um, bet, oh, I bet a million dollars that hyperinflation is not going to occur. I believe was the bet. Was it? Yeah, so
2: essentially the way Balaji did it, he's like, yeah, I'll put a million dollars USD in like a Yeah, in a vault. And then you put a Bitcoin. So you're like 26 mm-hmm. to 1 like odds essentially, right? For this bet. And for anyone that doesn't know, Balaji was the former CTO of Coinbase. God, like, uh, he's a, he's like a very like prominent guy. Like you know, you can listen to a lot of
1: his podcasts. He's very very smart okay. a guy. Like, well, he, well, yeah, he's a he's a billionaire, and likely the majority of his portfolio is Bitcoin. Yeah, and so that's insane. And what and what, what people are saying is like, oh, he, well, he's doing this outlandish bet essentially to to increase the news awareness around Bitcoin, and basically, even if Bitcoin doesn't doesn't go up to a million, if it hits you know hundred thousand. Then, you know, if he has a thousand Bitcoin, then he's made back the, you know, million dollars that he loses from this bet in essence. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting. But the case that he's making, like he made a lot of predictions around like COVID yeah. uh, before, you know, COVID was kind of rampant around the world. And he made a bunch of predictions and a lot of those ended up being true. And so this isn't a guy who's kind of, uh, what is he? The boy who cried the, He's yeah. not the boy who cried wolf. Right. Um, he's the man who cried Bitcoin, I guess. And, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the fact that he's calling for the potential of hyperinflation occurring in the United States in the next 90 days, do I think that's actually going to happen? I don't know. Pro- probably not. I explain what hyperinflation is. Yeah, I guess hyperinflation is when you go to the store to buy some milk and it costs $10,000 or $20,000, <laughs> right. where you have people in Venezuela who are burning their hundreds of thousand dollar bills because they're worthless. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think there was a case like, people used to bring like a wheelbarrow full of cash just to buy like oranges and stuff like that. Yeah, I think even as well they have a trillion dollar
0: bills <laughs> <laughs> or something similar to that. So uh, that, that's just insanity. So basically he's saying that US in the next nine days will enter something like that, where a dollar will become essentially like, so, so like a hundred thousand dollars.
1: Well, it, it could be trillion. interesting because well, it's yeah, like, because we'll you don't necessarily need Bitcoin to go to a million dollars for this bet to be true, you just need U.S. dollar to be devalued massively, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a combination of a capital flight into Bitcoin, in addition to a devaluation of the dollar, then, you know, that type of bet could make sense. But you would have to have very, you know, no, I don't want to see that day. <laughs> that's a day where you have people running around in the streets. That's a, hey, go get toilet paper because and take it off the shelves day, like in COVID. Like that's a mass. Hysteria, essentially mm-hmm. that would occur. So
0: basically, your money will be worth like one tenth or one hundredth of what it's worth. And he's saying that it can happen in the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, so what's the, what are the reasons? Did he say any reason why it might have causes? Is it the banking crisis? Is it something else?
2: I think overall, like, um, if for him, it was more like the combination. It feels like you might be kind of perfect storm, like all the stars are alive kind of situation. Like you have like the uh, regional banking crisis itself, which was. Essentially, just so many depositors are getting scared, like that flight risk mm-hmm. that that like starts stemming in the fact, okay, now like all the money's being pulled a few centralized like entities. The thing is, if those centralized entities then, like in like the JP Morgan's, all those stuff, if they're not well regulated, they're not like doing well itself, mm-hmm. and okay, that risk right there comes that. All the money being in one place kind of thing, like you can see like where that risk comes itself, right? Like what Matt's saying about the fact that, yeah, at one point, if the USD starts like dropping, there's a lot of geopolitical things going on right now too, right? That's Mm -hmm. like affecting the US dollar. Like USA is in like, I think like 10, 15 different like economic, like, you know, cold wars right now kind of thing. And so like all those things combined. And on top of that also, you also see like the rise of something outside of gold, like a digital, vir- like Bitcoin could kind of be called like digital gold, like uh the way it's like much more mobile. Yep. Like all those things kind of combine, like create like a perfect storm yep. for hyperinflation to be hyperinflation. It's just the value of a commodity or like a resource becomes so high. Like you'd much rather keep an orange than keep a dollar because nobody cares about the dollar anymore. At that point, it's just like the because the U.S. Uh, dollar itself is... A fiat currency, right? Like there is no like gold backing behind it. The moment the US like citizens lose confidence in
1: it, everything goes to shit, basically. What do you think, Matt? Is like is hyperinflation gonna occur in 90 days? I mean, I don't think we're entering like a Weimar Republic type situation. <laughs> yeah. In my personal opinion, it seems to me like like I don't think the Fed is in control necessarily. I think they're trying to do whatever they can to try to get back in control. But do I think the entire system is gonna collapse, you know, in the next ninety days? I sure hope not, because the yeah. the carnage from that is going to be extreme. And so I would much rather and hope for a gradual decline of yeah. the empire. And that's what I think is more likely. I think what's what's more likely in this case is that balaji has made a very outland like very extreme bet and that he's gonna profit off of that and that Bitcoin is gonna go up and then you know, in the short term, we're entering the next halving is soon, which generally correlates with, you know, uh, just before the next bull market. And so it's likely that there's still going to be like a large price increase. But I suspect that the Fed is going to choose to kick the can down the road by any means necessary. They need to, you know, increase inflation slightly, like stop raising rates in order to keep the banks or there's going to be a consolidation of banks where you have that's significant number of smaller banks that fail and get taken over by larger banks and that they, you know, all deposits end up being insured. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's personal thoughts. What do you think, George? I feel like
0: the scenario is likely, but I just don't think it's gonna happen in the next ninety days. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can't really time the market, even if you're the best Wall Street minds, mm-hmm. even if you have yeah. the best quant system. Like how can you time something in such like an easily prove, to prove to be wrong? I do think Silicon Valley is very afraid to say this is not gonna happen though. I feel like the whole Valley, the whole like financial sector, no one's actually coming out and say, okay, this is really BS. Like We don't think it's going to happen next time. It's a customer like the COVID. Mm-hmm. So people don't want to get stuck in the face for that. I think, well, if there is hyperinflation, then yes, Bitcoin is going to go up to a million dollars, right? If there's yeah. hyperinflation oh, in the US, it's absolutely true. The only question is that, is that going to happen next 90 days?
1: Well, the thing is that, like, okay, so we have, well, this is another topic we need to talk about, which is the whole thing around the United States dollar losing its world reserve currency status, Mm -hmm. but that's not happening overnight, right? You've had a so US dollars is held all around the world by various countries, and and you kind of have a a slow decrease in that over time. The amount of US dollars that's being held over around the world is slowly decreasing. You're not have you're not seeing it fall off a cliff such that people and, and in fact in cases of mass hysteria in the world, you generally have capital flight to USD. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's unlikely that we have this kind of mass hysteria that happens in the the short term. But is a year like 2030 this occurring? Is that reasonable? Maybe 2035. Right. At some point, the empire will fail. And so it's a matter of when, um, not a matter of if. And it's about like, what is that timeline going to look like? And so I think, you know, Balaji has made his bet on this timeline, but we'll see if that's actually the case. So.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to think like, so if you think that the devaluation or like the value of the US dollar as the world's reverse currency, it's less coming to a prominence. So we just saw that China and Brazil entered to an agreement yesterday about those two countries are going to trade in Chinese yuan or in their own currencies. So they're abandoning US dollar. And I think that this is some campaign that China is pushing towards. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, is this more of like a geopolitics, like in you know, a foreign policy thing? Or do you think it's like an economic incentive?
2: I think it's definitely more on the economic incentive side. Obviously, the geopolitical part is really important. The fact that if China can make like a dent against the World Reserve Currency, that would be a big help. But overall, like if you've seen like the past couple of years, China isn't the place you kind of go for like cheap labor anymore, right? And so, because China's starting to become like a more like economically developed like nation, where there's starting to be more like a technology advanced kind of like thing instead of just where the cheap labor was. I think it was like 20-ish years ago and stuff like that. So because of that, at one point you also just start, want to start seeing your currency itself, like become stronger, right? Like, uh, China for a long time was like an export heavy country. So they cared a lot about just keeping their currency as low as possible. Cause that helps to boost your GDP. Cause then for other countries, it's cheap to buy from you. Okay. Like now there's like, you know, like tide shifting a bit. I don't know how much. Yes, yeah, so, like then like China being able to use its own currency was going to end up happening is that then like the entire market will not be flooded with as much, uh, Chinese one because then there's more one being taken out. Like, it's going towards, like, the Brazil side, like, because of this deal. And then, like, I think, like, a little while ago, like, that Saudi Arabia was kind of concerning as well. I don't think they made a decision. Like, when, like, all that stuff starts happening, the entire amount of just, like, floating Chinese yuan becomes, like, a little bit lower. And so the value of each one is going to kind of increase itself. So as much as the, like, taking over the reserve currency part, I think that's just kind of, like, effect instead of, like, a cause. Like, the cause would be just, like, to make your yuan stronger itself. And then, like, yeah, like, uh, trying to take over USD would be, the effect of it i would say
1: yeah i think like people overestimate what can be accomplished in a year and underestimate what will occur in a decade and so like mm-hmm. we seem to have like a very short mindset in terms of like thinking of the failure of the world reserve currency of the united states and the chinese petro yuan taking over yeah. but it's more likely that you have just a slow deterioration and a a slow shift in the world to an alternative world r- reserve currency or or maybe there's multiple for a period of time until one is found
2: and mm-hmm. so
0: I think it's a very interesting, like, economic development, right? And last week, we talked about the Donald Trump potential arrest. Mm-hmm. So today, we heard that he's already indicted by the grand jury. And I, without going too much into details, because this is obviously leaked from, like, you know, public official, like, it's not being finalized, because these things typically are kept under the wraps, and it's not really publicized until Trump appeared in front of judge, and the judge unseals the indictments. Mm-hmm. But apparently, that's been leaked, and this is happening. Without going too much on the political side, just like, what does that mean for, you know, it's it's not helping, Matt, for like, you know, this whole US dollar thing.
1: Hmm. Does it, how much does it, well, that's actually an interesting question. How much does it affect the, I guess it shows a lack of faith, I guess, in the United States as a strong superpower, in essence. You have, you know, an ex-president that is being indicted. You have a current president that can't speak a full sentence. (laughs) Yeah. You have uh, potential for an election that is upcoming that will likely be influenced negatively by or kind of manipulated by AI. And so there's all these elements at play that are kind of pushing the trust in the US system Mm -hmm. in a different direction. You have the FBI who was in bed with Twitter back during the COVID days that is now released. And so do you have the world looking at the United States and kind of laughing at what is going on? I don't know. What, what do you think,
2: on? Yeah, no, I think you kind of hit it on the nail. Like the reason why, like, you know, you said before, like the people kind of fled to the US dollar, like whenever times got tough in their country, because their country would always have some kind of geopolitical event. USA was kind of like safe on that, but we're starting to see a lot of like internal politics starting to play out, like, like internal civil war just between like the Senate and like the House and stuff like that, which is getting just ridiculous in like certain situations just because. It feels so, um, are like a Democrat versus Republican thing, versus like, you know, like you're kind of trying to make the overall like center, like you know, trying to make
1: the country itself a little bit better.
2: It, it almost seems
1: to me like the United States is likely more polarized today than they were in the like during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're not geographically like they're geographically dispersed and intermingled. You know, like you have people that are so far on the right, it's so far on the left, and there's no where, where are the moderates. Where are the moderates? They seem to be silent. The vocal minorities on each end seem to be, you know, just pushing the entire conversation.
2: I think the reason why is because anytime you're like a moderate, or you're like kind of more towards the center. You're not going to be perfect in the center, right? You might be a center leaning right, might be center leaning left. Yeah. So like if you're center leading left, the the extreme right are going to say, oh, this is like a, yep. you know, like a pure liberal, exact, commie. And then like the same way on the left side is going to talk about, oh, yeah, it's a pure like right wing fascist, like uh, all this other stuff. Like you like you get like such polarized comments. You start pushing that person to actually go towards that side. And now it's like we've seen where it's like, yes, yeah, purely like the center is not playing anymore. Like people just want to get as far to their own side as possible, which is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I feel like if you're in the center, then you're getting a get squeezed from either side. Yeah. Like no matter where it is, no matter which issue, you can't really be on the center side. Like, for example, abortion is such like a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you're on the left, you take a side. If on the right, you take a side. Mm-hmm. So why are you supposed to take a side on the center? Right. If your friends ask you what's your side, if you're a moderate, then you have to make a make a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you're not staying in the middle. So I feel like it's like that's difficult to be in the center-minded. I think Salam had a really good point about many people, many countries, even like world leaders and their families, they store money in the U. S. They harbor the money in the U. S. Because they think U. S. is a much more stable place to store their money. Mm -hmm. In which way, I think it still is. It just like recently, I think there's so many news going on about the, it's just, it's just not being stable, like an ex-president being indicted. It's something that happens in a coup or happens in like a less democratic country. There are many countries in the world today who are quote unquote democratic, Mm -hmm. but they're not really, right? You, you have Mm -hmm. the, you have the rigging, you have the low rigging, you have the president seizing controls, you have all those like political polarizations that are happening in those countries. I I just feel like it's going to be a lot more difficult.
1: Yeah, and you also have like special interests that are, you know, putting money towards whatever. I remember back in the day when it was Hillary versus Trump, and Hillary's like, "Hey, I voted against this bill, which would prevent Trump from getting a tax loophole." Yeah. And then Trump comes out and he says, "Well, yeah, I used that loophole. Of course I did." <laughs> and so did, and so did all of your donors, yeah. you know, yes. <laughs> right? And and so like we've almost had a de- degradation. You know, the founding fathers came in and and they tried to set up a system that would try to fight against corruption because I think that's inevitable in any Empire that you mm-hmm. are likely to go towards corruption but it seems that we've had more and more instances occurring lately that are moving it more towards a different direction and I, and I don't think it's necessarily a good direction and so
0: yeah and is this the bullish case for Bitcoin
1: <laughs> well you ask like who are the moderates right and so who's on the left who's on the right, right. dropped out with Bitcoin and so, right, cause you, you've got, like, that's not the only scale, right? You've got left, yeah. you've got right, you've got authoritarian, you've got libertarian, right? And so, you know, if you want to opt out from being an authoritarian, you can opt out, you know, Bitcoin employs many, like, libert- I mean, I guess to be fair, Bitcoin can be used by authoritarians. That's terrible, but, but generally it's more, more libertarian than you would see elsewhere. And so I think that's an opportunity to say, Hey, what's wrong with the system? What's going on with banks right now? And I think it creates an opportunity because this whole banking crisis that recently occurred was really a marketing scheme for Bitcoin at the end of the day, because Mm -hmm. it said to startups, previously you thought that you could trust the bank with your money, but actually if the bank can do stupid things and it's possible for them to fail, and you might be worried this weekend about making payroll next week. And so how do you protect yourself against that? Are you going to go buy gold and put that in a vault in the middle of your office? (laughs) Or are you going to buy Bitcoin? That is, hey, it might lose 80% of its value over the course of several months. But guess what? It's liquid and you're going to be able to access it when you need it. And so maybe it's prudent to put a certain percentage of your treasury into Bitcoin. So I think that's the important lesson that we're learning here as people start to realize. Because here's what it used to be. It always used to be a situation where people would say, hey, I I understand the values of Bitcoin, but you know what? I trust my bank. My bank works for me. I don't need to worry about whether my bank has my money because I live in the United States. I live in Canada. I live in a place where I don't need to be worried about that. Guess what, people? It's time to wake up. That's not the case anymore. And so we need to adjust to the new reality yeah. what it is. One thing I'll say, definitely, I think,
2: There's been like a definitional change for Bitcoin. Like I think for like the longest time, at least like for like a layman on it, like from the outside, it was like an investment class that was like much more volatile. So you get the high ups over like low downs as well. Now it's starting to change to exactly what Matt was talking about, like that store of value situation where it might have like a high ups, high downs, but you have the you have the liquidity and that you can like anytime access it, and you have the independence to know that it's always going to be yours, like uh, no matter what, like. As a depositor, like you open up a checking account at a bank, but because the bank signed a ten-year treasury bond without like hedging it, you lo- You could have lost all. Of it. Like there's a lot of people that sold their deposits, like notes for 50, 60 cents on the dollar that exact same like uh, day, right? Like and those people just lost everything. Whereas at least with Bitcoin, you you can kind of see it going down. If like yeah, like it. Like Matt's saying, it was losing its
1: value throughout time. Yeah, and the thing too there is that you can try to figure out ways to like hedge yourself with Bitcoin. At least it's liquid at the end of the day. At least you're not worried. And the wonderful thing with Bitcoin too is you don't need to be reliant on any any bank, like as a depositor, the idea that you as an individual need to be doing due diligence on the bank. like How is your average person supposed to walk into a bank and be like, Hey, yeah, you know what? Like I didn't know that SVB had a 10 year bond, you know, oh, I shouldn't have put my money there. Like they're not doing that due diligence.
2: And not just they're not, they can't. Like Moody's was giving it an A rating a week before it fell down. Yeah. Like if you think the best credit agency in the world <laughs> can't catch it, you expect like the average deposit to be able to, the average small business that's focused on growing.
1: Yeah. Like, but, and what the, that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that like you can hold your big, like with cash, it's a problem. What are you going to do? Put it under your mattress? Mm-hmm. With gold, what are you going to do? You're going to dig a hole in your backyard and, <laughs> and put gold in it? But Bitcoin, there's ways to secure it you know, effectively with 12 words by setting up a multi-signature wallet between multiple parties, right? Like those features are already built in. The, the features that you expect from a bank account are already built in to Bitcoin with even more guarantees. I, I mean, I think that's the bullish case for Bitcoin as we enter into a really a new era post-banking failure, V2. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I feel like Bitcoin has been pretty resilient, I guess, in a couple last, last couple of months. People are thinking mm-hmm. it's going to drop down 20k. Drop down 10K, 15K. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's stood really fairly like stable towards that
1: level. Already. Well, I feel like it's been, it's acted as, you know, people were uh, kind of shitting on Bitcoin during COVID. Oh, it didn't act as a safe haven asset. Um, it didn't, you know, really perform as it was supposed to. It went down with the tech stocks, but this time around, we're seeing the failure of, of banks. We're seeing the failure of the Fed. But this time we're seeing Bitcoin hold on and even increase in value. And we're seeing gold also go up. And so we're seeing these assets kind of behave yeah. as safe haven assets as other parts of the industry start to fail. We're also at a point in Bitcoin where we already had a uh, meteoric rise all the way up to you know, 60000 USD. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of like pressure to sell, which is just the general cyclical nature of Bitcoin. Yeah. This time around, all the people that were going to sell Bitcoin have already sold. Now you've got the strong hands that are in for the long term, and now you've got more people buying as they see concerns in the traditional financial system. And so there's no one left to sell, and most of the off-ramps are, are starting to be taken away to be able to sell in the first place. So.
0: But my, my question is, like, what, how does the uh, United States government's action towards the banks that are shutting down those crypto business accounts, like how is that going to affect the average people's ability of buying a Bitcoin, and how is that going to potentially affect the price, although I know it's not the
1: most important thing? Yeah, well, I think for the, I mean, for the price, it, it basically takes certain exchanges like the ability to get out to to fiat to U.S. dollars again. It makes that more difficult. So if someone wants to go to an exchange and they want to sell, and they want to get that to the bank account, it makes it slightly more difficult. At the same time, you're you're just going to have a smaller number of folks that are able to be an on and off ramp, which potentially can lead towards you can have large like you know kind of rises in price or drops in price essentially because of that. But I think what it's going to push more and more is the need for, I guess, elements of, of what we call in Bitcoin, like the circular economy, like where you have like certain goods and services that are being paid for in Bitcoin, right? Um, we've already seen this kind of be built out in places and certain like in El Salvador, obviously where Bitcoin has become legal tender, it's become more prominent in places like, like Texas, where Texas Bitcoin mining has become very large in, in recent years. And you're going to have, you know, kind of peer-to-peer, marketplaces need to be built up even more where folks are, you know, just trading, you know, direct cash for Bitcoin. And so, you know, regardless of all these things, there's always still going to be an opportunity for people to get in and just might be, you know, they might not be using Coinbase. They might not be using Kraken. They might not be using that exchange, but there's going to be a way to get into Bitcoin. It's just, you know, how easy is it going to be? And then what price are they going to get it at? I always like to say like, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. And so, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. what it is.
0: I, I do want to talk more about the regulatory crackdown, and then I think Matt can start first, and then so I'm next. I think really recently there's some news about Coinbase, mm-hmm. about Coinbase getting a Wells notice. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you can explain to our audience what is that.
1: Yeah, my understanding, I'm not too familiar with the Wells notice, but my understanding is that they were going after Coinbase for essentially listing various securities and going against kind of the various security laws in the United States. And that was specifically for... I think like listing various altcoins over the years, and also I don't know if it was like specific towards Ethereum as well or not. I, I think it was actually for the staking service. Yeah, I think like a big part of it was the fact that they were staking after like some like court cases come
2: out like a little while ago. Like, yeah,
1: like, and so I think one of the challenges with that was that the SEC was not very clear on which assets are securities and which ones are commodities, and what is the issue with utilizing like this asset or this asset. Like they've never been clear. They've been kind of taken a stance of. Um, oh, we'll we'll see how things play out, and then we'll go and take action afterwards. So you've got this strange paradigm, I think, that exists in the United States where you have the CFTC that's supposed to be in charge of commodities, and you have the SEC that's supposed to be in charge of securities, and both of them can't even agree on what a security and commodity is, and then they also can't agree on the laws between them and who is responsible for what. And so now I think like, the situation there is that Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, has been very annoyed at what the situation is currently because they've tried to play it by the rules. They've tried to in a regulated exchange. They're probably the most regulated crypto exchange in the world, and yet they're being hit with this. Now at the same time as Bitcoiner, I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't have been, you know, listing those altcoins and shitcoins <laughs> for all these years, <laughs> right? But but he does have a point that they yeah. they just haven't been clear, and it's pretty difficult to be a business when you're not you don't have that clear.
0: Yeah, I mean, to Matt's point, I think yeah, not listing those shitcoins are pretty funny to begin with, right? It's like, are those shitcoins classified as securities?
1: Well, it's it's unclear, right? So so you have different types of assets that have come out over the years, right? You had. Back in the day, you just had like Bitcoin. And then you had Litecoin come along. And so is is Litecoin a security? I don't know, because we know Charlie Lee created Litecoin, but it's kind of is pretty much the same thing as Bitcoin. And then you had Ethereum come up. And then is Ethereum a security or not? Well, it was pretty simple like it had proof of work back in the day, similar to Bitcoin, and then it's kind of evolved now to proof of stake. In fact, it's had it has a bizarre it had a bizarre system recently where you know if you started doing proof of stake, your assets have been locked since September. Apparently, you're going to be permitted to unlock them next month, which seems bizarre to me for a permissionless cryptocurrency. <laughs> and then you had the ICOs that occurred, the initial coin offerings, where you had just various companies all over the place just creating a new coin left and right. And now then you had the, the DAO coins, the decentralized autonomous organization coins. <laughs> and then, then the next thing after that is NFTs. And I don't even know where that lands. You've had all these iterations, and so the SEC can't even keep up with all these because you have a new coin every week. And so they don't provide any kind of specificity to you, except for maybe Bitcoin, where they say Bitcoin is a commodity, and then there's some questions about Ethereum, and then Ethereum changes slightly, and so now there's more questions about that. So they've never been clear on what is a commodity or what is a security. Mm-hmm. And so now like a business who's trying to operate has no clarity on that, and then they, they try to put things in place to try to follow the rules that don't exist yet. And so... That's where Coinbase gets hit hit with this. But at the same time, I'm not very happy with like Ethereum in general, I think has taken a very strange turn in terms of how they've tried to play the market to their own will in terms of, first of all, switching to proof of stake and then having people go and actually stake and not be able to withdraw for like eight months. That seems very strange to me. And so it's like you're kind of playing with fire there, but also there should be more clarity.
0: So also there's some news about Binance, right? I mean, so I'm, I'm not sure if you read the news about Binance and CC, uh, their CEO and the company got indicted as well by like the CFTC. C, C, yeah. We talk about Binance several times on the show. Like, uh, what's your take, so I'm um, about like the government going after Coinbase and now Binance. It seems like they're going after
2: everyone. Yeah. No, I definitely agree that I think the government's taking a big stance against like crypto, like overall. I think. They haven't been able to take a stance against Bitcoin just because, like, uh, Bitcoin's pretty decentralized. There isn't like any kind of, like central like authority there. But in terms of like Binance, like it's kind of ironic considering the Binance CEO is kind of like the reason why FTX went down, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out they're basically doing well, not the same thing, but like kind of like those kind of things too, right? Like, there was corruption on both uh, sides, and they were like the two big players when it comes to that. So that was kind of interesting. But overall, I think right now, I think like once FTX happened. The government just had like this huge wake-up call, like uh, with Matt saying, like um, the fact that they finally claimed that Ethereum is like a security. Like for the longest time, they decided not to even like look at it and stuff like that. Now they're taking crypto seriously, but they're not taking it seriously in the sense that they're trying to like uh, see where it fits in the market. They're trying to just, like force it out of the market, in yeah. my opinion. And like the way to do that, kind of what Matt's saying, like the on roads off-ramps kind of situation. They're just trying to get rid of like every single exit. They're trying to block off these exits and block off the entrances for new newcomers coming in. And the problem with that ends up becoming one, like what Matt's saying, like the liquidity goes down, which means the price has to start going up because people that want to buy it, there's less people that are able to sell it, right? So that's gonna be one problem, like I think can happen in the downstream of it. But the other part of it, the more like bigger systemic issue that becomes, is um the amount of like control that like you're gonna see like your government's kind of taking. Like we're seeing like the governments like of like USA are starting to take a lot more of a Active approach about like their citizens, what they're into, like even like what their investments are and stuff like that. Like we're seeing like now they're debating on t- getting rid of the entire app, like with TikTok. Like, like the thing that they used to crucify China for, uh, saying that oh like you guys don't of your social media apps on your country. Now you become like the villain that you know like you die a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're that's a actually
0: we we want to tell you about this, Matt, about the TikTok uh, mm-hmm. hearing. So the, there's a hearing of TikTok which was brutal, and now the Congress wants to bring a new bill that's essentially going to ban TikTok. Which created some shock and some confusions about can a government actually ban the company from existence? So what's your take from the whole hearing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I want to get back to Binance after, but I think the TikTok thing is hilarious. Yeah. So you're gonna say I was gonna say the one thing about the TikTok, I just want to
2: kinda add in. It's not just that, oh, like they can get rid of the company. It seems like a kind of like a secret bill where they just end up getting a lot of power over apps in general. Mm -hmm. Like like TikTok is kind of like the face of it all, because like that's like there's like a reason you can talk about TikTok, but like this bill will give government a lot of power when it comes to shutting down apps like on the App Store and stuff like that mm-hmm. too. I don't like add that in. Well, it
1: will also like make it easier for them to stop crypto. Exactly, right? And 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 stop Bitcoin. And exactly. so, no. I, honestly, the whole TikTok thing was pretty entertaining to me because it just showed me these. Folks in Congress just have no concept of, of technology in general. Uh, well uh, do does, does the buy code get uh, get modified when you <laughs> compile the code and, you know exactly. <laughs> it's just <it's, it's laughs> nonsense
2: to talk to my wife.
1: <laughs>
0: oh man Yeah, it was like five hours of grilling, it was it was brutal.
1: Yeah, well and then, then it is hilarious to me too, like and it just like bizarre things, like oh, uh, um, do you agree that China is uh, is persecuting the the Uyghurs or whatever, right? That, yes or no?
2: You know, like, like yeah, yeah. They were trying to bring in like all these kind of political issues of China to a Singapore citizen. <laughs> That's the CEO of TikTok. Like it's, at one point it's almost like blatant racism.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like a little bit of it. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. like they don't they don't even know that he's from Singapore. Yeah,
1: like I think they'll like make you like, a bunch of like, like I bet you like, oh Singapore is a part of China. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah, oh. it's just crazy that they are the ones making the law and yeah. they're the ones that are deciding it. It seems like that But this is bipartisan. So, oh,
1: but, but maybe, maybe it shows that we need a, a maximum age, you know, like we have, we have a president who can't speak. We have Congress who doesn't understand the technology that they're reviewing. And we saw the same thing with Zuckerberg, you know, last year and when he testified in front of Congress and they had no idea what he was doing. And they were, <laughs> they're, they're associating they him with other companies like, like Twitter and, and whatnot. So to me, honestly, after watching that, I had like, I have more confidence in TikTok <laughs> and, and and less confidence in the government. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> so yeah, but the power it gives, the bill, of power it gives to potentially ban TikTok, yes. it is bipartisan. So do we expect something like crypto, Web three, blockchain going to when when they go to Congress, like is that going to be the same fate? Bipartisan, basically opposing the idea of it and then potentially banning it, which is not you know the China ban, the Russia ban, and many governments banned crypto
1: in general. Well, I think one of the concerns in the language was around asset or a Seizure, I believe, if I if I remember correctly, and so it seems to me like they're they're using you know don't let an emergency go to waste or don't let a you know bad thing go to waste. Where basically they're they're using this as an excuse to mm-hmm. to kind of put in legislation that can be used very broadly, and the potential for that to be used in a in a more authoritarian way, I think, is quite likely when it comes to you know apps that might not be part of their agenda. Yeah or that uh, reduce their potential for power and control. And so I think those combinations together are very concerning and are part of a larger narrative that we're seeing in terms of the direction that the United States seems to be going recently. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know where that leads us. I think it's likely that if this language gets, I hope there's pushback against this language in this bill to prevent it from being pushed through, because I think if you just have that broad, broad language in any type of application that can be utilized, it is going to be taken advantage of. Yeah.
0: yeah I want to uh, switch topic a little bit because we, we talk about finance a lot. And I think one of the large issue here, which has been gaining popularity recently after the bank collapse has been commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think commercial real estate, many people say are the next frontier to fail. And uh, so I'm not I'm, I'm sure you're aware of like how it's. Shaping up in commercial real estate. So what
2: is happening there? So uh commercial real estate's like it kind of its own like special case. There's like a lot of different factors that kind of like made it into quote unquote a ship shop. Like you have one, the rising interest rates, which means that the monthly mortgages that like the people that own these are paying is a lot higher. And you have also like a lot of vacant buildings and like leases expiring soon as well, right? So those two parts, there's less people that need an office building now. Like I mean, you use a Weaver, so you don't really need it a space as much, right? Like yeah. the stuff like that happens. So people don't really need to go to the office as much. There's a lot of like work from home teams and then like, you know, you can just like rent out a place for just a couple of weeks. So when that ends up doing for like a lot of commercial real estate, it makes the whole like capital cash flow in terms of what you're receiving a lot lower. And the other part of that becomes because real estate itself is so low liquid, you're not going to see the effects of this until like a longer time away. Like we've talked on the show with the velocity a lot. That's what like, uh, crypto is part of the fast in terms of having like a price correction. Mm-hmm. Stocks are pretty fast too, but real estate always takes the longest time. Like, um, the overall real estate market will always lag behind the stock market by a couple of years. You can obviously never predict it. And so we see like a lot of zombie buildings where they're almost basically empty, but the value of it is a lot higher because the same way like, you know, like on um, a couple, like, uh, Months ago, a lot of VC companies don't want to do additional funding because they'd have to do it like a lower like uh, valuation. Mm-hmm. The same thing's happening. Like, with a lot of companies don't want to get rid of their real estate because they're gonna to have to do it for a lot lower of a valuation. And so we're not seeing that happen, but at one point it's not gonna be economically feasible to keep the buildings and there's gonna be like a storm that comes through it. And I think commercial real estate really will be um halved in prices unless mm-hmm. it gets turned into either residential or the Fed comes in with like their Huge pockets, which will just create another inflationary
1: problem. Well, I heard like one of the um one of the possible like edge cases that could occur is like essentially there's lots of folks that have taken out you know mortgages that Mm -hmm. and and then they go you know so they go out and take a a mortgage or even for an office and people are investing in this and then they go and obviously rent that out to companies that are you know um, utilizing that space, but now those companies are not utilizing that space and. You know, now the the terms are are coming due and they need to, you know, refinance it. And so are they going to default, you know, on those mortgages? And then Mm -hmm. if that occurs, then there's a high likelihood of the bank essentially repossessing those office buildings or that real estate. And the bank doesn't want to be in the real estate business. So then you have a fire sale that occurs of those assets for pennies on the dollar. And so if that occurs, then that's very concerning for the entirety of real estate. But I don't think, I doubt they're going to let it come to that. Because if they let it come to that, then that's just a decimation of the real estate market in general for years to come.
0: And I feel like there might be, the banks, well, I mean, the banks will take repo of the real estate. They'll take possession of the real estates that they would to default, but they're going to sell a penny on a dollar. Mm -hmm. So like if a bank does a lot of commercial waste activities and lending then the bank is going to be out of business, mm-hmm. right? We're basically repeating SVB, just like this time it's not 10-year treasury yields, it's basically commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. So and commercial real estate is what's like, basically you look at every city in the US, every city in Canada, yeah. there's commercial buildings. Mm-hmm. And those buildings are all dead. No one's buying them for cash, right? And the banks own them essentially. So like if real estate commercial is default, wouldn't the banks be impacted
2: so well? Yeah, one, That that's also a double whammy for the banks. Because a lot of banks have a significant amount of their assets in mortgage-backed securities as well. So, like, once those mortgage-backed securities kind of, like, start defaulting, the way, like, Matt, like, was kind of, like, illustrating, that means that their, like, uh, books itself already is losing value on that side. And the other side, where they actually have to, like, um, so let's say one bank, JP Morgan, owns, like, the mortgage-backed securities, and another bank, First Republic, let's just say, like, a regional bank. Like, they're the ones that have to repossess these, like, real estate. Now, you see, both these banks are kind of, like, a bad situation. Because, yeah, like, the um, First Republic doesn't know anything about real estate. They don't want to be in that. They're going to sell it to whoever comes in and people, like people in the real estate business are like uh, sharks. They're, they no blood in the water. They're going to like offer pennies. Like no one's going to offer one pennies anyways. So they're going to be like selling for a much lower amount. That means that that mortgage backed security, if the markets work correctly, unlike 07, uh-huh. you know, once, uh, once 08 happened, if the markets work correctly, then the mortgage backed securities will like lose a lot of value, which means then their books will because mortgage securities actually have to be mark-to-market, so their books itself will, like start losing a lot of value, and then we see the depositors kind of getting scared again because now like
1: yeah, the, the, it all comes full circle. Right? Exactly. It sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound
0: familiar. Though.
1: It's like except this time you have the potential for capital flight, yeah, from these banks, and so it's even worse. Mm-hmm. And so they kick the can down the road. Well, you know, you're gonna step on the can any second now, you know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and let's also I just want to add one foot in. With the capital flight, it's different than 08 because the speed and the velocity at which it happens is so much different than back then. There's not people waiting in lines anymore. It's right away like you just take it out of the bank, unless they shut the website down, which uh, they <laughs> yeah. did. The-
1: well, yeah, you, they start preventing withdrawals. And, yeah. And that's when people get really scared. Yeah. And at that point, whenever withdrawals do become available, yeah, it's... Wow. Yeah. Like what happens when people realize, when they wake up one morning and they realize that they can't get their money out of the bank, what happens?
0: Mm-hmm. And then is the Fed going to convene at that point? But like, I feel like this time the commercial real estate bubble, I mean in 07-08, it's debatable that it's the residential real estate market, right? Mm-hmm. But this yeah. time it's the commercial real estate market, mm-hmm. which is worth significantly more. But it's not really related to everyday people's like homes. It's a, it's a less emotional attachment mm-hmm. to it. And the banks are going to fail, commercial real estate developers are going to fail. Uh, so is the Fed going to be backstopping this? you
2: think so? Oh, in terms of backstopping, like. The the more powerful people that get hurt, the more likely the Fed steps in. And so I, like I don't think there's any doubt that commercial say probably like some of the most like kinds of the industry. So I think the will definitely have like some kind of lobbying interest. But I think yeah, I agree with you. Like uh Oya was different because it used to be nobody checked for like credit back then, right? So people like just own like five houses with like a minimum wage job. Versus like now it's just like people don't want the property. There's no companies that wanna like take on these things. Like in like a 20 floor uh, building, maybe there's like five to 10 max that actually want to be tenants. Yeah. And I think that's going to change like the industry a lot in general. I think that's concerning uh, in terms of where we're heading next.
0: Uh, but like, I mean, the Fed did step in in the case of SVB yeah. to save the depositors. Mm-hmm.
1: But in terms of commercial real estate, where do you think it's kind of heading to? Matt? I think for commercial real estate, I agree that the Fed's probably going to backstop it. And then we're going to have. QE again, right? So they're going to keep pumping more money into, like, it seems to me like it's just a, a continuous cycle where the Fed, they've created a problem and they're going to keep doing the same things they've done in the past on a larger scale to solve that problem, which is put QE, backstop, uh, do whatever is necessary to keep the system going, kick the can down the road, kick the can down the road, keep doing it. And until... You know, I I don't know. Until there's no more road. Well, until all the people in Congress die. Until, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) kick the can down the road while while they're still alive, basically. And so, what do you think? What are your thoughts, Joe?
0: I'm just, yeah, I I agree with you. I'm just not sure how long this can is allowed or is, like, naturally allowed to happen. And, like, the commercial real estate market is worth significantly less than what it was, like, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Some may be approaching zero.
1: Like, it's a weird situation, too, because you've got places... Like San Francisco, where you have, you know, you previously had 5% vacancy and now it's at 40% vacancy. But at the same time, you've got places where, you know, the, the price of housing is like increasing dramatically. And meanwhile, you've got office, like building office buildings that are empty. Mm-hmm. And so, well, that seems like an opportunity to me to tear those down and create more housing. But how expensive is that? And so I don't know if that's what they're going to do, or if that's what they're going to have to do out of necessity. I
0: think it's hard to see what's going to really happen next for commercial real estate. Um, and I think like I think the pod is great because we we live in such an uncertain economic time where every week you have a lot to talk about. I know Ray Dalio, there's a book he wrote um, about big debt crises where there's actually an, an excerpt about his writing of every week into from 2007 2008. Every week he writes a memo. And some people in the government read the memo, some people in, not somebody's clients read the memo. And I feel like the podcast shape, our podcast is like a form of the memo. I feel like we are analyzing the new things that are coming into the economy every week. And we're giving like analysis of, okay, what's really happening. And I feel like we are giving the warning shots in terms of, okay, what's really happening yeah. in the market. And I think that's really valuable. I think I think people will look back about what's going on. You can you could just listen to every week's podcast. And catch up to like what's really going on, right? I feel I feel like it's a really valuable piece. So before we go, Matt, some like let's just each share some thoughts about you know our economy next. I would start first. I think I think we're in a significantly uncertain economy. And last year, when I first heard Y Combinator, which is the U.S. and Charlie founders, that okay, expect to have no funding until twenty twenty five. I think it's twenty twenty six, and I was like twenty twenty six is four years from now. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't think the venture capital market is going to be down for four years in a row. Uh, look where we are, right? If you tell me now, it's going to say that I have no doubt, I believe you a hundred percent. And so that's going to happen. But like in, in the meantime, I just think we're like the, the economy is getting smashed every way possible. Venture capital, startup, crypto, commercial real estate, stock market, there's nowhere to hide. And now the U.S. treasury fund. So I have no idea what's going to happen next. Which I think, you know, very few people actually do know what's going to happen next. But even knowing the uncertainty, there is like an anxiety in the air about things that's going on. So that's kind of my quick take. Uh, Matt, what's your quick take?
1: Yeah. I mean, where we're at right now, I mean, uh, I feel like all of the things that I've read about, you know, if we think back to 08 and then we see 09, Bitcoin was created in the wake of the failure of the financial system. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that we're seeing. You know, Bitcoin kind of, you know, exist when another, you know, financial situation is going on. And so I think we're in a really, really interesting spot where Fiat has been an experiment since 1971 for the past 50 years. Mm -hmm. We're seeing how that experiment goes and what are the concerns with it. And I think it's likely that over the next little while, we're going to continue to see a lot of marketing, a lot of marketing for Bitcoin with the failures of existing systems, and people are going to start to wake up to how the system actually works, how banks work, how our economy works, and we're going to, you know, be entering a recession, we're going to see how Bitcoin survives that, and we're likely going to see a Bitcoin, you know, bull run in the next two years, at the same time that an existing traditional financial system is encountering lots of problems. And so that's my prediction, that's my personal thoughts. How about you Song?
2: Yeah, no, I think George kind of hit about not knowing at all what's going to happen. But one thing is when you don't know, like uh, the, the nice opportunity is you get to help write it. Right. And like uh I think right now, I think the writing on the wall is the word inflation, like constantly in every single direction. Commercial real estate, the fund easing comes in, all that side. On the other side, there's like an escape hole towards like, you know, like crypto, which is something that was never there before. And I think overall, we're just coming to a point where... We like, uh, Masa, I really like that phrase, like kick the can. I, I don't think there's any more road to kick the can towards anymore. Like, um, I think maybe not 90 days, but in the next couple of years, there's going to be a huge thing towards inflation, unless the fact, I think there can't be a soft landing anymore. Like, there has to be a hard landing. Like, uh, it's like crazy interest rates, or else there's going to be no way to recover on the long run. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's great. So yeah, thank you for our listeners who listening to this episode. Uh, you can always find us on Twitter. And you can always tweet to us by supporting the podcast, tweeting slash hashtag Show. And also find the co-hosts on Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the contact info in the description of this podcast on wherever you listen. So thank you so much, uh, our co-host, and we'll see you next week.